Welcome back for another week, uh, recording from a guest location in Chicago. Um, our learning is dedicated to Eloy Nishmat, Rivka Ben Yaakov Alevi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D, Rufu Shlema, Rutila Batia, Bachaya Tova, Brachavi Gaila, Rachel Gita, Yididi Chaiman, Avira Kachaya, Oshali Melech Alevi, Ben Basha, Shalm Ben Chaya Sarashim, Ben Elko, Yisol Moshe Chaiman, Chanamalka. For all those in need. Last time we discussed the Mishkan and how the Mishkan was placed in a central location that would connect both the northern kingdom and the and the southern kingdom. Today we move ourselves onward to the actual Sheva seven Shvatim that are left. And those seven Shvatim, what did they not do? They didn't conquer their land. They kind of were a little bit lazy in what they were supposed to do. So what happens? That is the focus of where we pick up this week. We take we we start off Parakid Chet, Pasuk Yod Aleph. And here we here we go. Bayal go ral matebene benyamin le mishpechotam. So what happened? We we come out that the first shevet that gets their that gets their nachla is Benyamin. Amazing because Benyamin is the youngest of all the shvatim. Why is it that he specifically gets the first one of the second tier of divisions? And why is it that the Torah actually makes a point to tell us that he is between Bnei Yehuda, Yehuda in the southern portion of Israel, and Yosef, the Ephraim and Menashe piece right there in the northern part of Israel. Why is that so significant? That's our first question. Now let's take a look at Pasuk And then their gvul goes up to the northern corner by the right, the northernmost corner over here is the, by the Jordan River, and then it goes to Yericho. It's we're slowly moving our way across, and then from there it goes out towards the Midbar of Beit Aven. Let, let's continue with Pasuk Gimel. We're going to do a lot of Sukim today, so we're going to we're going to move. But we definitely have some questions, and the first question I think that we have to under ask is why is Binyamin the next Shevet? But be, besides that, we're going to see some interesting wording in the Pasuk that I think also is going to require a little thought, bit of thought as well. And then it goes down south towards uh, Luz, which is by Beitel. And it's moving towards Beit Choron. You can actually see Beit Choron and Beitel are actually on the map. And interestingly enough, they are not cities listed in Binyamin. In this map, they are actually cities that are listed as cities in Ephraim. It goes down to Kiryat Yarim. Now we might remember Kiryat Yarim. Kiryat Yarim is actually a city near Givon that is mentioned actually in the Nachla of Yehuda. And that is the westernmost border. That would be as you can see the green of Dan. The brown of Yehuda and the whitish blue of Ben Yaman. And it goes down towards um, the area of Emek Rifaim. We said we had actually Emek Rifaim already, and we said that is actually the Emek Rifaim of 
Today, the Arad Gehino, Melketavi, who see Nagba, the Arad in Rogel, the Gosin Rogel, Armitaphone, the Atsa in Shemesh, that's like Lilo de Shanoch, Maleadumim, Verad Evan Boan Ben Ruven. If these places sound familiar, it's because we had all of these places already. They were mentioned in the context of the land of. Yehuda, and we go north to the Arava. It goes out towards Beit Chagla. If you go to visit Yericho, Yericho, you'll see you make the left um, by the Jordan River to go north, as opposed to going down south, which would land you at the uh, the Dead Sea, and you get to Beit Chagla. And from Beit Chagla, that's when you get yourself towards Yericho. And the Jordan River is its final border. Now, what's interesting is that if you read along or looked along with us as we're reading this, the Psukim, what you'll note is that there is a word that comes up time and time again, and that is the word ketef. We don't have that by the other Shvatim. When it describes their Nachla, we don't have that listed there. What do we have instead? We have different words, Lepat, or other, other things as well. Why is it that here we have the word Ketef? So Rabbi Michael Hatton suggests something amazing. He says, if you look at the bracha of Binyamin, to Binyamin, we say, you are the Yedid Hashem, you are the, the beloved of Hashem, and God will dwell there, between the shoulders, you will rest. Now here is something absolutely fascinating. First off, the, the, the first and most important thing to understand is that the understanding of these psukim is that there will be a special merit that Binyamin will have, and that is that he will be the one that will host not only the Mishkan, possibly, I think he he might get some of the Mishkan there. There is an opinion that tries to make Shiloh into Binyamin. Not sure how that works out. But he gets a base of Migdash there in his Nachla. That's an amazing thing. So we have to ask ourselves, why why does it end up there? But Uvenk Tefav Shachin, Katev, 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 that's we had the Katev over and over and over again in the information related to our Nachla of Binyamin. So what is the deal with that? So interestingly, this is a picture of, you can see that's the base, that is the old city of Jerusalem. You can see it's the, the mask is right smack in the middle. But the reason why I wanted this picture was, look, you can see that is the mountain, Har HaMoriah, Har HaBayit, the mountain that the base Hamigdash finds itself on. But look over there. Behind it is another set of mountains, and in front of it is another set of mountains. And the truth is, if you've ever visited, you'll know that these mountains are all higher. It's it happens to be that Yerushalayim, the the Ir Ha'atika, the old city, finds itself in this central mountain, surrounded by other mountains, but it's not the highest mountain. And we'll discuss that in the future, maybe when we get to Shmuel. Why is it not on the highest mountain? But I think the important piece is to realize that it is ben k'tefav, shachin. It rests between the shoulders. The head is higher than the shoulders. It's on the sho- It's the shoulders over there. You have other higher areas around it. The Gemara in Zvachim talks about how it's not the highest, 
There are higher mountains. Why? Because the important message is that it's protected by a ring of mountains around it. Okay? It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. So that at least explains to us the idea of Katev. But why is Binyamin mentioned first? And why is Binyamin Zoha to have the Beit HaMikdash in his Nachla? And so for that, we have to ask the following, that we have to try to understand this question better. So I want to take us to two stories. I want to take us to story number one, because there's two possible answers. That's why Binyamin is Zoha. It's this special opportunity, why he is listed where he's listed. Picture on the left, the first picture we're going to look at is a picture of the brothers ripping the coat off of Yosef. Yosef is about to be thrown in the pit. And the brothers have such animosity, such je- there's such jealousy. And what are they doing? They figure the only way we're going to beat him is we're going to take that coat and we're going to throw it away. That's their goal. And we'll see what happens with Yosef. Who's missing in this story? Of course, Binyamin. Binyamin is the only brother that is not part of the sale of Yosef. Why is that significant? Because when God decides that he's going to place his house, his Beit HaMikdash's place on earth, he's going to decide who it's going to be. He knows it has to be, has to be someone who is not involved in something that creates pirut, division between the brothers. And so the first possibility of why Binyamin is next is because what does Binyamin represent? Binyamin represents the Achtut. He's the person that is able to bridge the brothers. He's the person that does not have a part in this animosity. But take a look at the, the next picture on the right. That is the, when the Gavia is found from Tacha Binyamin in the, in the bag of Binyamin. What's the reaction? What's the reaction at this point to the brothers? So different this time. The brothers, instead of saying, what are you thinking, Binyamin? They could have easily said it's Binyamin's fault, but they don't. They refuse. No brother is left behind. We made that mistake once before. We did that once before. We're not going to do it again. That's what they realize. That's what they recognize. They know. They know that they have to fix it. It cannot be the same thing again. So how how do they beat it? How do they do it better this time? The way they do it better, the way they ensure that it's not the same this time as last time, is that they go after Benjamin. They go back to uh, Mitzrayim and they say to Yosef, it's not going to be, you can't take our brother. No brother's left behind. That's the idea. That is exactly what's happening over here. Why is Benjamin therefore chosen? Why is he the one that has a Nikdash? Why does he go next? So listen to this quote by Michael Hatton. After all, didn't all the other brothers happily accept Yaakov's partiality towards him? Because he was, in fact, the youngest, but possessed none of Yosef's enraging hubris. The brothers are okay with Benjamin. He does not bother them the way Yosef did. Didn't Yehuda's valiant efforts to preserve Benjamin from the viceroy's clutches serve as the catalyst for the eventual and complete reunification of the family? Benjamin, it seems, the brother and later the tribe was destined to play the role of reconciler. Just as surely as the hallowed ground of the Temple Mount was slated to one day serve as the source of Israel's national unity and of its ideal vision of a peaceful and harmonious world order. We saw that the Mishkan was meant to be placed after Yehuda and Yosef to say to the brothers, you got to figure it out. You got to get along. This cannot continue. Can't. Cannot, cannot, cannot continue. That's what happens. What happens now? 
Binyamin comes first because the idea is he is the one that represents reconciliation. He is the one that represents unity. He's the one that represents what the Jewish people could be in their optimal. That is constantly what we see in Sefer Yoshua. Constantly. It never changes. The message of the book has been since the beginning. Can't you all just get along? Why can't it be that we're friends? If we could just, 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 just figure it out, we'll be good. That's what the brothers need. If the Mishkan represents that between Yehuda and Yosef, Pinyamin and the, and the Beis Amigdash represent that amongst the greater Jewish people. So, so important. And so that is what we find. Binyamin is next for that very reason. But now we have the cities of Binyamin. We are going to fly. Amazing that some of these names we still have to this very day. Twelve cities. We're told that these are the cities. Okay. Okay, so Binyamin is done. But now we come to the next one. It's a long parag. But hopefully these 51 psokim will go pretty quickly. So now we have you we have Shimon next. Now it's kind of surprising. You would not expect Shimon to be next. Shimon is not of the brothers that you would expect to have next. Shimon is the one that doesn't kind of do the right thing ever. And yet he's next. He's the second one. So what are we told? His nachla is betoch Yuda. It's in the middle of Yuda. Now, what is interesting. But Alex Israel has a beautiful idea on this. He says that actually, even though they are part, we see that they are part of Yehuda, it's true. Nonetheless, they actually remain a distinct part within Yehuda forever. And later on, we're going to see towards the, the times of the destruction of the Northern Kingdom, when some of the area along the coast becomes emptied out, Shimon actually moves there. So they were a distinct tribe, and yet somehow they're part of Yehuda. Let's see what we have. Thirteen cities. Four more. This is the Nachla of Shimon. They have this part, portion that finds itself in the middle of Yehuda. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Question is, why is Shimon singled out? Why does Shimon find himself here? So this is an interesting idea. The idea is like this. We know it. We know Shimon. Shimon is famous. He is the brother that teams up with Levi to destroy the city of Shechem. And we could, we could debate for quite some time, was that the right thing? Was that not the right thing? Do we, do we have to do that? Shimon and Levi, they, they tie to their father. What do you mean? So I have a question. How could you do that to the Bat Yaakov? You're going to rape her and that's it? They hold that what they did was correct. The question is, Shimon and Levi, this is what they do. 
Is that an aberration? Is this a personality trait? And, and what are the ramifications, not on Shimon Levi, the people, but Shimon Levi, the tribes? Let's take a look at the bracha that Yaakov gives them, if you can call it a bracha. Shimon and Levi are brothers, and the weapons of destruction are their, are their wares. I don't want to be part of their unholy union, perhaps. In their anger, they, they killed a person, and they uprooted a, the, the ox. Their anger should be cursed because they are strong. And uh, I will spread them out amongst Yaakov and amongst Israel. So Shimon and Levi are destined by their father to not be part of the mainstream Nachla of the Jewish people, but they're going to be spread out. Shimon is spread out in the sense that he is um, a, a part of a greater Shevet, and Levi even more so, he's spread out throughout all of the land of Israel in his 48 cities. Now, if you take a look at the at the chart below, we used it a couple of weeks ago, you see that not every Shevet gained. Reuven went down, Shimon went down, God went down. Interestingly, all three of them were together. They were neighbors. And there is a, um, a net loss of close to 45,000 people but Shimon is the one that has the biggest, the big takes the biggest hit. In Parsha's Bemidvar, at the very beginning, he's got 59,300 people. That is a big tribe. And they go down to 22,200. There's a net loss of 37,100. It is not close. Nobody has a loss like that. Why is that? So Hazal assume that what happens? Shimon is the bulk of the people that sit at Balpaor come from Shimon. Now, the basis for that would be, obviously, more than just the numbers match, but also who is one of the one of the massive movers in Balpur? It's You have the Nasi, Zimri, from Mateh Shimon. So it kind of makes sense that if their leader, one of their tribal leaders, is the one rallying the troops, not so crazy to think, that Shimon was very much involved in it. That's a safe assumption, and therefore they lose it. But who is it that comes and defeats them? And this is, I think, the most fascinating part of the whole thing. It is Pinchas that kills Zimri. Pinchas is from Levi. Zimri is from Shimon. Shimon and Levi have these personalities. It's not a healthy personality. They get themselves into trouble. They're doing things that are not exactly what you want. That's when they are teenagers. Question is, what happens in the trajectory of life? And what happens in the trajectory of their descendants? And this is where it is so fascinating to see how the blueprint for a Shevet has the fingerprints of their ancestors. Shimon and Levi both have tenacity to them. They don't necessarily find themselves as mainstream people. Shimon is the one that causes Balpaor. But it's Levi that twice stands up for things. 
I hate the Egel. He says, can't be. I refuse to allow it. It's lazy. And then further, what do we have? We have the whole thing with Balpur. Who puts a stop to it? Again, Shavit Levi. They have this character trait to them. It's not something that one wants to emulate. And yet the, the piece that makes a difference is what do they do with it? And so Shimon and Levi are spread out. But Shimon is spread out to protect himself or to protect others from himself. Levi is spread out to use his strength that he channeled properly to help all the people. It'll be interesting to watch that as we continue our journey through the Psukim and through the Prakim of Tanakh. Okay, we've got a lot to cover now because we need to get to the very, very end. So they're up in the water up by Haifa. And today you can actually visit the area of Yaknaam. The high, tall mountain, the Zael, Interesting, it's Totav now, not Ketev, just in case you didn't think that it was consistent. Ketev is just Binyamin. On the coast. Next is Yisachar. What do they get? They get the beautiful field of Amek Yisrael. It's beautiful there. God willing, we'll spend a little bit of time there in a couple of years. Not the Beit Shemesh that we know. So on the western side, it goes to the Carmel, the tall mountain range by Haifa. when you look back to that map, how everything is so beautifully connected, the, the one goes to the next, to the next, to the next. Which is north of the Kinaret, the Kedesh Adrevein, Chatzor, Veiron, Migdal El, 
We got onto the 38 highway. I don't remember having been on the 38, well, I'm sure, although I'm sure I had been at one point or another. And you you come and you see the big sign that says you're now passing Eshtaol. Eshtaol, I know that place. And you continue a few minutes and you hit Tzara. You say to yourself, that's done. Ben Tzara uvein Eshtaol. Dear Shamesh. And the city of Shemesh, probably be Shemesh. Vishalabim, Vayalon, Vietla. And then we're going up towards Shalavim and Emek Ayalon, Beilon, Vetimnata, Vekron, Veltake, Vegiptodu, Alat, Vihudu, Venebrak, Vgat, Rimon, Meyarkon, Marakoni, Magvul, Muliafo. Vetsegvul, Bene Dan, Mehem, Veilu, Bene Dan, Avayachamun, Lesham, Vikuduota, Vekuto, Vichar, Veishuto, Veishuva, Vikula, Lesham, Dan, Shem, Dan, Aviam. What do they do? They go out and they fight at Lesham. It's a good question. Do they go out because they don't have enough room or do they go out because they can't conquer their own land? But they name it Lashem Dan after their own father. Um, so the Abarbinal says, Shall we speak a Lamarets and Ichbesha, the Shayu girl and the Shabbat? They didn't have enough land. So what do they do? Um, they went and took out um, Lashem. He says, That's a possibility. It was very far away. So why did they go there? They go there because they couldn't conquer their land. And that's where we got the idea of Midan at Be'er Sheba. Dan is all the way up north in our mind, but it's not really. Their Nachla was in the Jerusalem surrounding areas. It's because what happened, the understanding to them was we can't get our land. So what are we going to do? We're going to take something else. We find ourselves at the very end of a very long parak. And what do we have? Everybody is done. Everybody's got their land. And what do they do? The Jewish people give their nach, give the nachla to Yoshua ben Nun. They give by the word of God. They give the city to him that he wanted. What was that? Timnat Serach in the Har Ephraim. And he builds a city and he stays there. And that was it. The land was given out. It is so appropriate. The very ending, the very last piece of land that we give out is Yehoshua's piece of property in Timnat Sarah. Why is that significant? We live in a world where finding a corrupt politician is not very hard to find. There are so many of them. In fact, people are all raising their hands. It's a sad state of affairs that we don't trust politicians. We assume that if you're a politician, probably you're not an honest, straight straight up person. That's the way the world is. And so if one were to imagine who is going to get first piece of land, you have a powerful leader like Yoshua. In contemporary society today, certainly in the societies back then, the idea would be that the leader, of course, would take first. Yet that's not the case. He takes last. After everyone is settled, after everyone gets their piece of property distributed, comes along, Yoshua Benun and says, okay, 
I want my piece also. I'm entitled to it. Khalid, you got Hebron? Just think it's bookended. Hebron at the beginning. They said the end. He said, but I want my team at Sarah. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's by accident that Yoshua takes last because Yoshua is chosen as the leader for that very reason. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? I want a leader that's going to go out with the, the people, come in and go out with the people. I don't want someone who's going to stay back in his palace and watch. In fact, if you think back to the, the, the battle at Ai, one of the criticisms on Yoshua was, how can you go out? How can you let the people go out and you're not? Can't do that. You have to be the one to lead from in front, right? Everybody, everybody follow me. That's the Jewish leadership model. Acharai is in leadership. When it comes to nachla, when it comes to taking, when it comes to enjoying, you guys take first. I'll get the last portion. It bookends and closes with Yoshua because that's great leadership. I just want to end the beautiful idea by Rabbi Rammer. He says the following, There were two people, Kalib and Yoshua. They were the only people that did not fall to the Chetam Eraglin. They didn't speak Lashon Hara on the land. And therefore, what happens? They get their land, No one else is uh, involved in it. There's no middleman. How it's going to be in the future. The land will be redistributed again in the times of Mashiach. And when that happens, in that day, it won't be through a middleman, through the Kohen, through Yoshua. There's a wall that is created, separating Jewish people from God. That's how the Lord, that's how the land is distributed. But it's not that way for Yeshua and Kalev. Yeshua and Kalev never sever that bond with God by speaking Lashnar on the land. The day should come really soon. Claudius will get the land once again. And this time, the land is divided up Yashem, 100% through Hashem. So we learned some pretty amazing things today. We end off by explaining that what? The land is given out. The land is divided. Everybody has their plot. Yoshua takes at the very end, noble. That is how he decides that he wants to take his land. But he gets it up Yashem. Because he and Kalev have maintained the Ketusha that they have in that relationship with God. Hashem, that they should come really soon, where once again we have that strong relationship with God. Thank you so much for joining us once again for Paragut Chet and Paragut Tet. Next week, Emir Hashem, we will continue with Perek Chav. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the Prophet.